Empower the use of open source with software composition analysis from Revenera. Hello, and welcome to a Revenera SCA podcast. I'm Kendra Morton, Product Marketing Manager at Revenera. Well, seems like every corner we turn, we're talking about regulations around security and holding software supply chains accountable. Yesterday was one of those days. The Biden administration announced their updated national cybersecurity strategy that is really asking for software providers to be more responsible and liable for the software they create and use. So here to talk a little more about what is in this enhanced strategy and what it may mean to you is Alex Ryback, Senior Director of Product Management at Revenera, and Connell Gallagher, Chief Information Security Officer at Revenera. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Kevin. Enjoy. Nice to be here. Alex, let's start with you. If you don't mind, can you give our audience a brief summary of what's transpired over the last 18 months or so to get us to this point and what's in this most recent announcement? Uh, sure, happy to do so. So it's been kind of a four-step process, um, actually dating way back to 18 months, but essentially where it all started was there's lots of different industry-specific regulations and uh, industry groups trying to do the right thing. Uh, it wasn't always you know, using the same nouns or the same terms we talk about now, but there's kind of this general consensus that security requires attention. Uh, you know, then last uh, couple of years ago, when the executive order was issued by the Biden administration, it kind of got the U.S. government involved and tried to uh, coordinate all the efforts that have been happening prior to that. So from that point, it was kind of a three-phase process. So step one was right after the executive order was issued back in May of 2021, there was a period of time where NIST, which is the National Institute of Standards and Technology, uh, they're part of the U.S. Department of Commerce, along with CISA, which is the cybersecurity agency, uh, had responsibilities assigned to them to come up with standards, best practices, tooling, and general guidelines and how we're going to comply with the intention of the executive order. So NIST started off with all the standards and best practices. CISA took over and is kind of working on how to operationalize all these guidelines. Then last September, there was a memo issued by the Office of the President with cybersecurity guidelines from the Office of Management and Budget, so the OMB. And the memo essentially said, now that we have spent the time writing all this down, we need to start complying. And that the federal agencies had to comply within a two-year uh, period uh, with the NIST guidelines that have been discussed with collaboration from private and public sector um, and have been written down and uh, designed to address cybersecurity as a whole. Uh, there's two key dates that came out of those guidelines, one which is coming up in June, where federal agencies need to start collecting what's called attestations for critical software. So essentially, if you buy any software product as the U.S. government, you need to have assurances from the vendor that they followed the process and done kind of business, you know, industry reasonable efforts to secure the product. And the second is mid-September, where this goes beyond critical software into all software. So that's kind of where we were up until yesterday. Then yesterday, we received the long-awaited National Cybersecurity Strategy, which was published, which was uh, you know, efforts spanning many years to get all this written down. It's broken out into five areas of so five pillars. Uh, pillar one was around defending critical infrastructure. Pillar two is around disrupting and dismantling threat actors. And number three was how to shape market forces and drive security and resilience. Four was investing in a resilient future. And five was essentially partnering uh, around the world to make sure we had shared goals and shared processes and didn't just do this in the silo. So that's kind of where we are now. There's you know, the guidelines that have come out. 
and lots of different kind of thoughts and opinions in the market based on the release. So would you say, Alex, that this strategy that was released yesterday, yesterday, you know, does it just go deeper than what we've had up until this point? It's uh, an aspirational look at what needs to happen next. It's, you know, there's still lots of vagueness in it, clearly, but there is definitely a tone to, you know, you're dealing with two actors. You're dealing with suppliers, you're dealing with buyers, and ultimately who is responsible for protecting themselves. So there, you know, we'll, we'll probably get into this a little more. I mean, there's lots of different kind of legal elements to consider here and security best practices elements to consider here. But essentially, that's what this is all about is who owns the ball and who is responsible ultimately for protecting us as a whole. Is it the people who write the software? Is it the people who buy the software? Is it some combination thereof? But, the, you know, it's, it's certainly in its initial reading heavily biased towards the producer and the liability that they would incur if something was to happen downstream. Okay, very good. Thank you. So, Connell, as the CISO for a software supplier, you're obviously looking at this from that angle, right? So, what are your thoughts as a leader for an organization that supplies softwares to, software to others on what this means and how others should consider corporate risk, especially as we know there are more threat actors today than ever before? Yeah, good question, <clears throat> Kendrick. Excuse me. So, you know, I actually wear two hats here within Flixer. I'm uh, the CIO and the CISO. So I look at it from uh, two different angles. From the CIO, uh, I do want to consider the integrity of software that's coming into our environment. I want to uh, know about the provenance of that software. And Alex can speak to some of the tools and solutions around um, software competition analysis or SBOMs tied to that. Um, from a CISO perspective, then, I also want to make sure uh, that, uh, that uh, we consider the integrity of the software and the solutions we provide to our customers. Um, and I noticed within the article, and it isn't very prescriptive, as Alex has said, it does talk about, it has concepts like secure SDLC, and it references to this secure software development framework. But we think of it more holistically than that. It's not just secure SDLC. Uh, it's the integrity or the controls that you have within your environment. Um, one of the things I should add is that within the document, it has a lot of concepts like reasonable, duty of care, but nothing is defined. You know, they, they, the benchmark by which an entity would be measured in terms of compliance, it's not written out yet. That standard has not been pulled together. Um, but in the absence of that, I think a lot of companies, and we actually did this within, within Flexera, we actually did a duty of care risk analysis or assessment. So we actually worked with a company called Haylock that partners with the Center for Internet Security that looks at all of the controls you have within your environment. It considers risk, uh, but it considers risk in a balanced way in terms of your obligations to your customers and your, and your external stakeholders, but also making sure that that risk is not overly burdensome on you as an entity to the point that it stifles any type of creativity within the company or results in additional costs you have to pass on to your customers. So we have used that uh, framework already. I think it's a wonderful framework in the absence of anything tied to the cybersecurity strategy. It is definitely worth looking at. Okay, very good. And Alex, you've put a lot of time and effort into building and maintaining our very own open source program office. Um, and by the way, let me mention, I know Connell mentioned Flexera. Flexera is a Revenir's kind of parent company. So we're 
kind of one and the same there. But um, Alex, you've put a lot of, of effort into our open source program office, as well as you play a very active role in our security strategy. So you're looking at this most likely from both sides, Revenera as a software supplier and, and, and how it impacts our, our very own security po policies. So from both angles. Um, so w what are your thoughts then, given coming at it from both sides? What, what are your thoughts on this announcement? Yeah, I, I've got a lot of thoughts on this announcement. So first thought is uh, it's great to see references to SBOM and to both NIST and CISA because there's been a huge amount of work that's gone in, ton of people, lots of industry papers, lots of private sector contributions. So it's good that the final, or I guess the, the first final document that's going to kick off a whole new approach to this, I recognize that, is, that effort. So, so it's good to see. Um, I've been at this since 2006, right? And we talked about bill of materials before SBOM was the term. And we talked about this concept, you know, back in 2009, where if you're going to sell this product, could your CISO, could your CEO, could your VP of engineering sign off on that? We've done everything we believe we have to do to ensure that it's safe for our customers. So having this kind of come full circle and having, uh, you know, attestations become a mandatory thing that has to be part of the process is very fulfilling to kind of see that come to fruition. Uh, specifically to this, I mean, I start thinking about things like uh, who's liable, right? Um, if you go back to the Equifax breach, right? So there's a vulnerability in Apache struts, Apache patched it, made it available, it wasn't applied. So whose fault is that, right? And how do you determine whose fault it is? And there's, you know, 20,000 breaches a year. Are you going to go through a full discovery on each one to figure out the portion of the blame to the supplier, the buyer, the intermediary, who maintains the network if it's a third-party deployment? All these topics need to be considered, and there can't be a single outcome that says it's always this party that's to blame for this transaction, right? Because it, it takes both sides. So I start thinking about things like strict liability, contributory negligence. Like if you look at, you know, a car drives off the cliff, who's, whose fault is it? Is it the driver? Is it the car manufacturer? Is it the posted speed limit? Is it the government, right? There's, everybody has a part to play in it. And I don't think software is any different, right? As a supplier, you do the best you can applying consistent standards, having done the proper research on what the controls need to be. And then if somebody disregards that and deploys it in a negligent way without setting up firewalls or protecting their network, how can you as a supplier have control over that if you have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of customers? So all of those things kind of come to mind. I mean, to, to Connell's point, this is an overarching paper that sets off the downstream process. Out of this certainly will come regulations, more specificity, more specific language on what you have to do and what defines negligence and what defines you not doing enough as a supplier. And then likewise, there has to be something around the responsibility of the buyer and how they have to take what you've done and use it in a secure way on their side. Right, so all of that will come downstream. We just kind of have to wait and see what happens. But I think it's a great start. And clearly, you know, huge victory, lots of people involved. Great to see this get published. Very good. So I was spending a little bit more time with the, this report of the strategy this morning. And by the way, to our audience, we're, we're posting a blog on this. It kind of will reinforce some of the things that we're talking about here and go a little bit deeper into how we got here as, as well as kind of what's in this strategy. So just FYI, be on the lookout for that. But as I was going through it, you're right. And you both have said, you know, there's still some vague language in there and there's still not a lot of specificity to it. Um, so more to come on that. And the one thing I thought was, you know, if I'm, you know, depending on where I sit, whether I'm a consumer of software um, and then, you know, 
more importantly, this speaks to uh, software providers. If I am a software provider and I and I'm reading this, you know, am I still am I sitting back and saying, okay, well, when this gets more specific, then we'll start laying our groundwork or doing what we need to do. And that doesn't feel like the right approach to me. So I guess my question to you is, you know, if organizations do need to take on this liability as it's outlined in this strategy, where do they start? What's your advice? And do they start now versus let's wait and see kind of where this goes? And Connell, maybe if you don't mind, start with you. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think we have to consider some assumptions as to whether this will get past Congress or not. But let's say for the sake of argument, it does. I, I would say for most companies are probably thinking about this already, Kendra. Um, you know, the software supply chain risk has been in the news for quite a while. Um, I think most entities or companies out there are trying to mature their security uh, program as, as risks and threat actors and just about everything else seems to uh, seem to increase. Um, but, uh, you know, right now I would take a wait and see, uh, approach. We have to see how this sort of comes into fruition. We have to think about the enforcement aspect. I mean, exactly how companies will be held accountable. How do you enforce that? Uh, how is this measured? What exactly are the standards? But getting back to what I talked about, if you're not already doing it, kind of doing a risk assessment or gap analysis, perhaps of your environment and looking for any possible areas that might be showing up. They do mention the NIST uh, secure SDLC framework. That's a good place to start, uh, for example. Um, and within that, you will see things uh, that talk about providence of code and, and uh, SCA and SBOM as, uh, SBOM, as Alex had spoken to. So I think that's a real good place to start. Start with a comprehensive risk analysis or risk assessment of your environment. Very good. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, and I, I mean, to Carl's point, I hope this isn't the beginning of your process, right? I mean, uh, if you haven't done anything, don't sit on your hands, get going, right? Go bring in a third party to kind of put you on the right path. I think to Connell's point, again, most companies are already doing something. Keep doing that. Um, whatever you have done was designed with some strategy in mind and some security framework that you're adhering to and probably some sort of consultancy on what a best practice was at the time you put the program together. So I think this is an opportunity once more details come out to kind of bounce that against your program, make sure that you got the right controls in place, uh, make sure you're not missing any, make sure that whatever investments you're putting into them are balanced properly. Uh, I'd say internally from an alignment perspective, look at all the teams that deal with risk, whether it be your open source program office, your cybersecurity team, uh, how you onboard uh, you know, commercial software, how you monitor commercial software, how you offboard things, right? That's important as well. And just make sure there's alignment. Make sure you're all kind of working towards the same goal. Maybe set up some sort of tiger team or someone where you meet periodically and kind of keep track of what happens with this, you know, as this becomes legislation at some point and make sure that you don't, you know, kind of don't miss any consequences on you that, that may come out of this. Uh, but certainly I wouldn't overreact because we don't know yet. Um, but I also wouldn't sit around and do nothing and wait till something firmer comes out, right? Because there, there has been no language that I saw as to uh, putting consideration to the size of the company. So if you're a startup with two people versus, you know, IBM with hundreds of thousands of developers, uh, there's no discussion yet as to, you know, do you have a higher burden if you're a larger company? And I'm sure all of that will get fleshed out as well. So expect that you'll be impacted in some way. You know, keep doing the right thing, keep doing what all the best practices dictate, and then just keep, you know, keep track of what happens and make sure you're aligned with it. 
Very good. Well, it seems like, I know, Alex, certainly you and I, <laughs> uh, but it seems like every corner we turn, there's more to digest and more for us to talk about related to this executive order and software supply chain security. Um, so to our audience, we'll definitely stay on top of this and future announcements. I'm, we're, I'm sure we'll be back here again very, very soon. So Connell and Alex, thanks for jumping on this call with me very quickly today. I appreciate it. All right, so to our audience, thank you for listening. Um, if you want to learn more about our discussion today and get some of the background and further information on the federal government's executive order, you can check out our website at revenera.com forward slash software composition analysis, and you'll find more under the Software Bill of Materials tab or in our blog. And like I said, there'll be a blog that kind of supplements our discussion today. Um, we'll have that posted up later. So thank you for joining us, and until next time. Empower the use of open source with software composition analysis from Revanera.